Good evening, everyone. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And let me say how great it is to have you join us for this Good Friday service. Later on this weekend, we're going to have a chance to celebrate Christ's resurrection, which is the hinge and the hope of our faith as Christians. I, I, I encourage you to continue praying for, for those services on Sunday, continue making invites, invites for that. But, but let me also express how important tonight is as well. If, if Sunday is celebration, tonight is, is reflection. Tonight, we want to guide you into slowing down, pausing long enough, perhaps after really busy, hectic days, to, to consider how significant the death and the crucifixion of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. Certainly, the more we reflect on this, it'll help us appreciate Easter all the more. Because if we, if, if we consider all the events that preceded Easter, everything that led up to Christ's resurrection, it'll help the resurrection be all the more wow for us on Sunday. But I also want to help us see that there's significance in and of itself in, in Good Friday, in what we're here to celebrate and, and think about and consider tonight as we reflect on Christ's crucifixion. The Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to a church, he said that he wanted to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so Jesus' crucifixion, was that, was that important and was that big of a deal for the Apostle Paul? And I want us to, I want us to appreciate how important that is. And so the one big thing that I want us to focus on tonight is that the cross, the crucifixion, really brings who we are and who God is into focus. Because it, 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 it's very easy for us to have fuzzy thinking in those two areas, about who we are and about who God is, right? It's very easy for us to have, have blurry thinking about those two things, but, but as we focus on the cross, it brings who we are into crystal clear clarity. And, and it shows us some crystal clear clarity about who God is as well. The, the picture that I think of is, is me and my eye doctor's office, where he's got one of those kind of eye doctor viewfinder things that he puts in front of my face. And I lean forward, put my forehead against the, the viewfinder there in the doctor's office. And, and then what he does is he goes through a series of lenses, clicking through each one. That's me clicking. Um, clicking through each one and, and saying, oh, okay, is, is the picture you're looking at now, as you look ahead to the chart, the eye chart ahead of me, is that more clear or is that less clear than the view that I just showed you? If we're not careful, we can have some fuzzy thinking about who we are and who God is. But the cross gives us prescri prescription strength clarity about these things. And so what I want to do is I just want to guide us into a passage of Scripture tonight for just a few minutes, Romans chapter 5, and show us how we can have some clarity about, those two th about these two things that we really need clarity on, about ourselves, our identity, and about God. And so, uh, so let me just read a passage from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and following. Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, 
someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? While we were God's enemies, Paul continues, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. Rich passage, a lot in there. But the question I want to ask us tonight is, is what is one thing we can learn from that passage about who we are? The answer is, is, is the need for the cross shows us a lot about who we are. We learn about us in the fact that the cross was necessary in the first place. So the need for the cross tells us a lot about who we are. Let me just lift a few words right out of this passage. We learn first that we are powerless. What Paul is saying here is that we are powerless to save ourselves. We are completely unable to do anything to change our condition before God without Jesus Christ. When I was growing up, uh, I was and still am the youngest of three boys, so I had two older brothers. And so what that means is brothers will tend to fight and wrestle, and probably on, on any given week there was a time when I was pinned down on my back arms spread out with one of my brothers on top of me, right, with, with, with his knees on my shoulders, and I was just pinned under him. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I was completely at his mercy. I was powerless. And, and I think that if we're honest, we, we all have these situations in our own lives where, where, we, where we've sensed this same powerlessness where, where we know that there is something I can't do to make the situation any better. I'm completely at the mercy of another. I, I, I'm completely out of control in this situation. And so we've all had these feelings of powerlessness, and they stink, right? And what Scripture says, what Paul says, is powerless, is exactly what we are before God to save ourselves. And then, and then this set of verses uses three other words that all reinforce themselves, that tell us more about who we are. And so Paul says that we are ungodly, he says that we're sinners, and he says that we are God's enemies. Strong language. The cumulative weight of these words becomes this sort of exclamation point that drives home the truth that if, if left to ourselves, our natural posture is one of rebellion against God. It's one of treason, where we, where we don't love God who deserves our love, the good and gracious creator of, of us, but we love other things, false things, instead of God. And so this is strong language, these words up here, that we're powerless, that we're ungodly, that we're sinners, that we're God's enemies. But this is scriptural language. If we don't appreciate some of these words, I think we'll fail to appreciate everything that Good Friday means, everything that Christ's death on the cross for us means. Because, because Brookside, these words tell us something about ourselves. If you, if you look closely at that passage in Romans 5, you see that Paul is using first-person plural pronouns. He says that we are powerless. 
He says that we are sinners. We are God's enemies. And certainly, if the Apostle Paul includes himself in that category, we would do very well to consider how those words, powerlessness, sin, ungodliness, enemy of God, how those words apply to us. So, so this isn't where we look out the window at somebody else. This isn't where we think, man, I'm, I'm sure glad so-and-so is here listening to this. Or this isn't where we think, man, I wish so-and-so was here hearing this. This is where we get out the mirror and we say, apart from Jesus Christ, this is who I am. But thankfully, there's more in this passage. We learn also that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross tells us so much about who God is. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross tells us so much about who God is. For this, let me zero in on verse 8, where Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God is loving, but what's so significant is that this is a completely counterintuitive kind of love. This is a doesn't-make-any-sense kind of love. Because remember everything Paul just says, says in the same passage about who we are, that we're sinners, that we rebel against God, that we're, that we're ungodly, that we're God's enemies. Those sorts of things, we, we wouldn't think that they would warrant God's love. And yet that's exactly what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so tonight we need to appreciate the weight of sin. That, that God's, love, God's love for us while we were sinners doesn't diminish in any way the weight of sin, how sinful sin is. You see, according to Scripture, sin isn't some innocent spill of the milk. Sin isn't some honest mistake where I do something wrong and God just kind of winks at it and brushes it off. No. You, you know how significant something is because of the solution that's required to solve it. And if our sin required the death of Jesus Christ to address it, that speaks volumes about the weight and the sinfulness of our sin. But God still loves us. While we were sinners, God loved us. This, this, this love doesn't overlook our sin or diminish how serious it is, but what God's love does is it deals with our sin by Jesus Christ coming to die for us. God the Father sends God the Son to do what you and I could never do for ourselves, to become, to become the satisfaction of, of God's wrath, even to use scriptural language, against our sin. So while we were powerless to do for ourselves uh, the, the, this, this saving act of, uh, of dealing with our sin, God is both able to do this and He's willing to do this by sending the perfect and sinless God-man, Jesus Christ, for us in our place. 2 Corinthians 
says that, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what God's love looks like. That is what the cross is accomplishing for us. And there's one more thing I want us to see in this passage. That's that the, the offer of the cross is salvation and right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The offer, the, the offer of the cross is salvation, is wholeness, is peace. The way Romans 5 says this is that we have been justified by Christ's blood and we have been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Now, now those words justification, justified, and reconciled, those are big words. Those are great words that are worth spending some time on, some time on your own. Tonight, the only thing I want to state about that is that those two words, justification and reconciliation, do everything to change God's posture towards us. So now He looks at us at all who have received His Son, Jesus Christ, as sons and as daughters. Those two words do everything to change the way we relate to God. Instead of hostility and tension, there's love and peace and access. So the cross crystallizes all of these truths that, that God offers us tonight, that God wants to remind us of this evening and as we approach Easter on Sunday. With the help of Romans 5, we can appreciate everything Jesus did for us. But I don't want to stop there. Tonight, I, I really want what we've looked at to set the stage for, for me just reading a selection from, from the Gospels, from the Gospel of Mark to be specific, where, where we just want to look at this at this series of verses that recount the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, hopefully, so, hopefully in a way now that we'll appreciate even more because of everything Romans 5 teaches us about who we are, who God is, and what the cross holds out for us. So, so these verses aren't going to appear on the screen. I'm just going to read these selections from Mark chapter 14 and 15. I encourage you to close your eyes if you need to. Whatever will help you focus on, on the reading of Scripture the most. So here's what Scripture says. As Jesus was speaking to His disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, he said. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, all of these religious authorities came together. But Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who had followed Jesus from a distance, was below in the courtyard. And one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself by the fire, 
She looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But Peter denied it. I, I wonder if his voice was stammering a little bit with this first denial that Peter says, where he says, I, I don't know, I, I don't even understand what you're talking about, he said. And then, and then he goes out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow, Peter, is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And so, so by now, Peter's denial is, is sure, where he starts calling down curses, and he swears to those who can hear him, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down, and Peter wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests, with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus. They led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. What shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. And they shout, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Pilate asks. But they shout all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate has Jesus flogged and hands him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. So there is a group of soldiers around Jesus. Together they put a purple robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and pressed it onto him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with the staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to crucify him. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but Jesus did not take it. And then they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what, what, to see what each would get. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, when he saw how Jesus died, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 
my request tonight is that you would impress upon us the truth and the weight of who we are without Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are powerless to save ourselves, that without you we are ungodly and sinful and your enemies. Father, thank you for the sacrifice that you showed in sending Jesus to die for us. And Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice you made by offering up yourself in my place, in our place. So Jesus, help us approach tonight and this weekend and everything you've offered us for our entire lives and the the hope that gives us. Jesus, help us approach that with appropriate gratitude and worship and reverence. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in your good and gracious name. Amen.